and welcome to this week's bonus episode of With Love, Victoria. I'm creator Rachel Garnett, and today I'm joined by the Scottish rogue himself, Mr. Connor Scott. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well, Rachel. Thanks for having me on the show. Very excited. I'm so excited to have you. I feel like our bonus episodes have been leading up to having you here since John Brown has been quite the character this season. Yeah, he has. Um, and it's been great to sort of see him evolve since, I mean, pretty much since the beginning. I remember we sat down for the reading and, you know, he was, uh, you know, he was sort of dashed in there, here or there, especially the um, uh, episode in the park. And then uh, it's been great to see him kind of blossom into his own in uh, his own arc in uh, these couple episodes in season two. I mean, he is such an iconic guy. He just kind of rolls up, says what he's thinking, and rolls out. He rolls up. Yeah, he's... Uh... <laughs> and by rolls out, I mean dies. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's, that's a fair uh, description of his arc. Um, he's <laughs> incredibly frank in a world where nobody is honest to anybody's face. You know, there's a lot of duplicitous uh, talk behind Victoria's uh, back during the whole season. There's uh, Regency, Regency reprise. There's all this talk of what can't we say to Victoria's face? And then John Brown says absolutely everything that's on his mind to Victoria. I mean, my favorite line is like such a non line, but my favorite line of his is, um, they're waiting for you, woman. <laughs> the fact that he's like, get in there, woman. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's in in this world, it is, you know, a punishable offense to you know describe the Queen of England as merely a woman. But it's such a, I think he has. There's a level of endearment when he delivers it as well. Just saying, like, oh, it's just me. You know, yeah. it's no one special. None of those fake people out in Parliament that talk behind your back. No, it's just me. I mean, I think that's what she found, uh, what Victoria found interesting and appealing about having him in her life. For someone who loved flattery so much, you know, if you look at the other people she had in her life, such as like Lord Melbourne, um, Benjamin Disraeli, who was a prime minister of hers who is not featured in the show, um, they all, you know, knew how to flatter the queen to kind of get her to do things. And John Brown did not take that approach. Yeah, and he's sort of... He might be the outlier, uh, certainly in the narrative so far, but he is the one who doesn't play by that rule book um, in a world where, again, flattery is the currency of the day, especially with interactions with Queen Victoria. Well, so you mentioned right at the beginning that, you know, you've been with John Brown for a while. You've been with him even before the podcast started uh, in our first full staged reading in 2019. Uh, you took on the part. Um, and it was a little bit different at the time. I think we fleshed him out a little bit more. But talk about going from that stage reading to coming into the podcast. How how have you approached John Brown differently through the three years that you've kind of have had this on and off relationship? Three years did not hit home until you just said it out loud. Three <laughs> years of John Brown. Wow. Uh, it, it really has flown by. I, everybody says that, you know, when in retrospect, oh, it's the time's flown by. No, it actually has. It was informative to think of John Brown sort of in a staged setting to begin with. I definitely carried that through recording because he's he's a physical presence he's a physical manifestation of the scottish highlands and he's 
you know, he brings that vim and outdoor vigor that, you know, personally, it can be hard to project into a, you know, studio or a recording session with just a mic. But having that exercise at the right at the beginning of sort of picturing right i'm i'm out on stage i've got my hiking boots on and i'm <laughs> i'm shouting to the world my goodness what a wonderful day that was that was really informative than taking what we took from that initial draft and turning it into the podcast i found that really helpful actually um in sort of in sort of bringing that outdoorsman into the studio and then hopefully back outdoors when people listen to it i mean it's actually really interesting you talk about that reading and you know that kind of echoey feeling of here I am on the stage I was actually just watching videos from the reading and your voice literally echoes in the recording in the room (laughs) and uh you know obviously in the podcast format you don't want an echo you don't want why is this man screaming in my ears I'm on the bus listening to this in headphones um but I think you definitely brought that energy into the podcast in an excellent sort of way that um, didn't blow out my ears. Well, thank you. Uh, that was the goal. And uh, I'm, I'm glad it, it it was somewhat successful, at least in that regard. Um, and it's been fun. What was really nice, though, was, you know, recording this in the time period that we have and where people are in the country. We're not all in the same time zone. We're not in the same area when we're recording. And having that sort of get together with people in 2019 and a somewhat more traditional or different setting for me put me a little more at ease in giving the trust to the other performers. I knew a lot of them and it was nice to be able to see them in person and then to come back in the studio to, uh, yeah, to, to, to play. I mean, play is such a good word because last season, Kayla and I talked about how whenever she and Colton and I were recording, it took us like four hours because we were all just being absolute goons. And I think there was definitely a similar vibe when we were all recording our dialogue together that it felt like play. We were being silly and especially, you know, John Brown is so sassy that um, <laughs> that it just even... Uh, you know, even in the more serious moments, he he gets something in there, like um, in appearance in Parliament at the end of uh, episode two. You know, he says, "Your face is all over the damn coins. How could they forget uh, it?" <laughs> that might be. You might have hit my favorite line. One of my favorite lines I got to deliver um, because faces on the damn coin. I just I just think that's <laughs> that that summarizes John Brown pretty well. That's rolling his eyes at the monarchy it's rolling his eyes at establishment and convention and basically the entire british empire and economy like eh, whatever you mentioned something right there that i actually really want to talk about which is kind of his not even disdain for the royal family but disinterest in kind of the ceremony what do you think is his relationship to working for them you know that's interesting i read a book a while ago called How the Scots Invented the Modern World. And it was about sort of the, you know, 150 odd year history around the Victorian age and right before that in Scotland. And one of the things that they stressed was there was a, 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 an ardent individuality that ran through Scottish society that I think John Brown really, uh, personalizes. And I think getting into the individual, um, motivation for John Brown. I think he serves, you know, they say serve at the pleasure of the queen. John Brown serves at the pleasure of the queen at his pleasure, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. in that he 
it is his pleasure to know and work for someone that he finds as estimable as Queen Victoria. Oh, I love that take. Victoria on an individual level impresses him. And if she had not, I think, risen to that occasion or, you know, passed that sort of score for him, I don't think he would have stayed in that position necessarily. Well, yeah, let's talk about where we really get to know John Brown and where Victoria and his relationship begins, which is um, in episode one of this season. That's uh, 10 years after Albert's death. And we've actually seen you once before. We've heard your voice once before. You <laughs> took down the assassin, the the gun stuffed with tobacco leaves assassin in season one. Um, but at the time, you were really working for Prince Albert. Um, and then we see in our show your relationship really begin to blossom with Victoria during the song Unimportant, where she kind of, you say your saucy little thing, but she lashes back out. And so at the end, you kind of admit, oh, I think I care for you more. So my question here is, in that interim time between when you're working for Prince Albert and saving them from assassins in season one, to this moment where you finally admit that, oh, I think you mean a lot to me, as you sing in the song very sweetly. Um, do you think that his admiration of her was growing throughout all the years or is unimportant really this kind of lights on moment? Or tell me how you view that. That's a great question. So Albert and John Brown have a history too. And I think Albert firmly fell into a category of somebody that impressed John Brown uh, on an individual level as well. So I think the affection we see John Brown uh, develop for Victoria happens over time where it starts as well. Victoria has Albert's approval, Prince Albert's approval. So she has my approval. And then especially in, you know, season two, I think it develops as he serves at the pleasure of this new monarch. And I think, I mean, I think he takes the information and interactions he has with her to heart. And he takes, you know, over time, he builds the case of this is somebody exceptional and this is somebody that I have not met before. And I think over time that that sort of absence of Albert and the loss of a dear friend and the loss of the husband also kind of bring them together in that, you know, similar vein as well. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Something that I would love your perspective on, because I know what my perspective is on this, but I left it vague on purpose. There's a lot of speculation about what the actual nature of Victoria and John Brown's relationship was. And I definitely showed that there was closeness and intimacy. Um, I think I lean more towards romantic than not, than, you know, some Victorian scholars would like. But, you know, due to the fact that this is a podcast, we never see anything. Do you think that this was a romantic relationship or do you think this was a relationship despite Victoria probably wanting to escalate it or even John Brown wanting to escalate it to romantic? Did they keep their distance? How do you view it as we have it in the show? Because who knows historically? Yeah, and I'm going to answer in the context of the actor uh, specifically. The short answer is yes. I think there was a romantic relationship between the two of them. Um yeah, and, and even putting aside the sort of practical reason for an actor's perspective, 
of the stronger the relationship, the better the emotions, the better the performance. As at least that's mm-hmm. the way I view it. Is that if if that additional component is there, then the words that I have to deliver in the podcast have that much more weight to them, and they they give that more much more you know sort of color emotion for the audience to listen to. So. Mm-hmm. You know, from a practical standpoint as a performer, yes, the, um, a romantic relationship. But I do also think looking at the text in in our story, I think it supports it. Beatrice's vehemence mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. annihilating John Brown from the pages of her mother's diary is, I mean, for me, makes it abundantly clear that there is something that is beyond the pale of Victorian society, which is an adult, you know, not an adulterous affair, but it's the, 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 um, just the romantic relationship that existed between John Brown and Victoria, which cannot be stomached, cannot be fathomed by. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably what is alluded to in the ripping. I mean, I just, Um, I, it, 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 her emotion, um, that is conveyed both in the text and in the performance is a very good performance is that, there's just there's it, it's too potent to not have uh, that sort of uh, relationship exist mm-hmm. between them. I think. I I would agree, but also if you disagree, audience, feel free. Death of the author and all of that, and also I left it vague so you could disagree. Um, and then sadly, we lose you to the dreaded disease erysipelas, um, which is some sort of disease with sores is what I have gathered. But here is where we get a direct quote from Victoria. This is actually not from her diary. This is from a letter that she wrote to the poet, Alfred Tennyson. Um, And in the song, In Regards, uh, we hear these words, and these are her direct quotes. She says, He had no thought but for me, my welfare, my comfort, my safety, my happiness, courageous, unselfish, totally disinterested, discreet to the highest degree, speaking the truth fearlessly and telling what he thought and considered to be just and right without flattery and without saying what would be pleasing if he did not think it right. The comfort of my daily life is gone. The void is terrible. The loss is irreparable. So, you know, what a tragedy that she had to to lose such another dear companion in her very long and and fascinating life. Um, We're going to miss you, Mr. Scott. I'm going to miss this world. It was a lot of fun to explore. um, And, you know, I've said this word a couple of times, play. It's been a a, a really fascinating and wonderful world to play in. Um, And a podcast musical. I have to say this might be my first podcast musical. So thank you for that. It's a delightful experience. Shout out to you, stepping up to the plate. I remember when you came to the uh, reading and you were like, oh, I- I'm not sure if I'm really a singer. And I was like, oh, it's fine. I'll sing your song for you. So I sang it at the reading uh, like an absolute goon. And you came up and you're like, I think I can do that. And I was like, I also think you can do this, but I didn't want to, <laughs> I never want to pressure, pressure people into doing things. And then you absolutely knocked it out of the park. It is the it is just such a highlight of the season. Um, the app, the sass, I cannot get over the sass in Unimportant. It sends me to the moon every time. Well, thank you. Uh, it, that was, and it was, by the way, Unimportant. I mean, it's one of the most fun 
uh, numbers, I think, in the entire series, uh, especially to listen to um, right up there with Wave. Um, oh, which, yes. yes, that's that's another one that I I that has that goes around in my head quite a bit. But I, I find myself singing unimportant to myself quite often. So uh, many fond memories recording this and, you know, reading and communicating uh, as we put this all together. So uh, this was really fun. And uh, so thank you for having me along on this one. It was my pleasure. I'm sure it's not the last Scottish character I will force you to play. Certainly not. <laughs> Certainly not. If you had the chance to change your fit. Would, would you? you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mr. Connor Scott, where can we find you, admire you, um, pay you lots of money? What's your PayPal? <laughs> <laughs> my PayPal? Uh, you can find me on my website, uh, connorcscott.com. Um, uh, oh, and my Instagram at Connor the Scott. Uh, I have a SoundCloud and a YouTube channel uh, with recordings that I do. Uh, you can find that on my website. So just head on over to ConnorCScott.com. And if you'd like to follow With Love Victoria on the social medias, we're on Instagram at With Love Victoria Musical and Ticking Clock Theater on the YouTube. We will see you next week for episode. Four. Bye, guys. Connor, you can't wave on a podcast. You can't see me wave. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bye, all.